Sitting here with a cold brew in my hand, I feel amalgamated with the hoi polloi. You are the classic everyman. Well, hello, governor. <laughs> that was unexpected. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm working on my British accent. Oh, I see, I yeah. see, I see, I see. Yes. Work on it more. Okay, well, that voice that you heard just preceding was none other than Fraser Crane talking about the hoi polloi. Yeah. yeah, this episode was almost over before it began. Yes, he didn't say, uh. See, it's yeah. it's all about how you, a little twist on it. Right. See, now you're working on yours. Yep, Excellent. Yep, yep. All right. Well, he was also talking about sophistication, which mm-hmm. is what we're here to talk about today. So That's ironic, isn't it? Yes. Well, <laughs> we don't have to live it. We just have to talk about okay. it. Um, yes, the topic for today is sophistopop, and it's something that we've brought up several times in passing on the podcast. And uh, actually, we had someone request that we go into it. Wait for it deeper dive which we'll get back to but um thought it was an interesting topic because we are going to see if we can take the boat across the pond Mm. and see what there is to see Mm. you don't get a ding for each c those are spelled different (laughs) okay anyway yeah we've we have talked about sophistopop a bit in the past a lot of times in the lightning round because some of the things that have been brought up for off the map Mm -hmm. are sophistopoppy things because they sort of relate in some ways and also i do think that this is an area where comfy comes into play Hmm. commonly mistaken for yacht we see a lot of uh sophistopop things thrown in there as uh on facebook as is this yacht or declaring it it's yacht or whatever but it it's a a definitely a comfy danger zone well does this mean that doubles captain of her heart finally is appropriate for this episode I don't even think it fits this. Oh, I really yes. don't. Poor double. <laughs> I know. <laughs> double trouble. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, before we get too far into this, we should define for the uh, non-initiated, what is sophistopop? Because it is a pretty explicit genre, maybe even more so yeah. than Yacht Rock. Yeah, I'm going to take this from uh, Wikipedia because I think that they... I think that they have it pretty spot on. So what they wrote is, uh, Sophistapop is a pop music subgenre developed out of the British New Wave movement during the mid-1980s. It originated with acts who blended elements of, wait for it, jazz, soul, and pop with lavish production. Hmm, we're aware yeah, of that before. Yeah, exactly. The term sophistopop was coined only after the genre's peak in the mid-late 80s. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, <laughs> here we go. But maybe where it differs, sophistopop is characterized for its extensive use of electronic keyboards, synthesizers, and polished arrangements. Yeah, we've heard that polished before. Polished arrangements, okay. Artists also utilize cutting-edge studio technology and perfectionist recording methods. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The genre has been described as mellow, Aha. romantic, no. and atmospheric. Mm. Here we differ, with artists often adopting a sharp, well-dressed, and well-groomed visual presentation. Big difference there. Yeah. Yep. In fact, we had had the discussion earlier that in a lot of ways, some of the Yacht Rockers' careers were killed by MTV because <laughs> they just did not work out well on screen and these guys coming in a little bit later mid 80s interestingly that sophistopop kind of starts after right at the end of the yacht rock era yep and a big part of sophistopop was the dress the silk suits and uh you know very well coiffed hair and things like that yes right? sophistication well in case people are still unclear i think if you use a couple of artist examples would you personally Thick of sophistopop. Name a couple artists that come immediately to mind. Well, the first one that 
pop to mind when we were doing the Spandau Ballet. I think they comp- encompass everything on that list. Yep. I have a, a few others, but go ahead and you, and then I'll see where I have that you missed. Uh, well, ABC is yeah. one for me. Um, just to be completely mainstream, I think New Order in oh, not New Order, uh, Dur- <laughs> not even close to New Order. No, Duran Duran in a lot of ways is sort of in the, look. I'm not yeah. sure musically though. They've got some elements which we'll okay. put a pin right. in. But uh, if you had to talk to somebody who knows nothing about British music and yeah. you said, think of Duran Duran in that style of new. It's not quite new wave. It's well, yeah. We'll we'll get better at defining it. Well, but I've got um, these are a little. Deeper maybe than than the obvious, but Haircut 100, Style Council, Level 42 probably fits in there. Simply Red, uh, I've brought up Basha before. Um, and really, another one that exemplifies it is the very end of the Roxy Music era and the first couple of, uh, uh, first few Brian Ferry solo records after that, particularly Bet Noir and Boys and Girls. Those albums define the subgenre of Sophistapop to me. Yep. Very much so. And the other one I would just add in there that you didn't, oh, a number of them, but Blow Monkeys to me went, I know they don't I have, have a huge my list. extensive catalog. Yeah. That, at least that made the pop mainstream in the States, but they're yeah. a perfect example. I have a list of artists that are sort of, maybe they don't completely cover Sophistapop. Maybe they have one album that does, but others that don't. And we see that a lot in Yacht Rock too. Uh, but you mentioned ABC. I have them more on a sort of area. Ultravox, Aztec Camera, Scritti Politti, Aha. Wang Chung has one album that is very sophisticated. The rest of it is kind of different. Um, everything but the girl, maybe Tears for Fears, maybe Cutting Crew kind of stuff. So interestingly, also listed in that Wikipedia page was that uh, Roxy Music uh, would be, uh, they're considered proto Sophistapop. <laughs> oh you know, I'm serious. 1982's Avalon album is often cited as the very first Sophistapop album. Interesting. And that is in the Yacht Rock era. So mm-hmm. getting back to why are we talking about Sophistapop on a Yacht Rock podcast? Yeah, was there an influence? Was there an influence? And I, well, what do you think? I think there clearly was an influence, but I don't think it's the influence that came musically. I think they that the Brits and the Euros were doing something different musically, but what they took was the desire to elevate the arrangements, the sophistication of the arrangements, mm-hmm. and also the sonic structure, getting things cleaner, getting things nicer, going for this beautiful recording sound, even though they were writing entirely different songs stylistically yeah, than what we would say Yacht Rock was doing. Right. And, you know, that's probably a good point that we are not trying to claim that Sophistapop is a branch of Yacht Rock, right? Yeah, um, and I don't think it's a direct evolution out of it either. Me neither. I don't think it's a imitation of it. Nope. But I do think, like you said, so here are, I have some sonic correlations between Yacht Rock. Some of these were cited in the Wikipedia article and you just mentioned a couple, but pristine recordings is for sure, right? You're trying to get super crisp and clean. Yes. Um, At its roots, there's a lot of organic instrumentation, but there is more use of the synths because most of this comes later in the evolution of music technology. Absolutely true. And that will also come up in my lightning round. Yep. Exactly what you're talking about. But there's, you know, there's a lot of real drummers, a lot of real bass players, some natural piano to go Mm -hmm. on top. And then they're starting to experiment more with synths than, say, they did um, in the Yacht Rock era, ending in 84. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll jump in there real quick because they... um 
they also did use the occasional drum machine, probably maybe a little more than the Yacht Rock era yep. did. But when we heard it in Yacht Rock, it was typically the Lindrum. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, in the uh, Sophista Pop, most of the European stuff was much more the Roland TR-707 and 727 machines. The 727 was all percussion instruments, but it had a much uh, tighter sound, mm-hmm. crisper. Um, you couldn't get in and like tune it way down as easily as you could like the Lindrum where you could just, there was a dial right on the front where you could dial that snare way down, thinking out like some of the Prince stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also had this other drum computer called like the, uh, what was it, the Movement drum computer or something like that that the thompson twins used uh eurythmics used famously on songs like sweet dreams that was almost their equivalent to wendell because it was a computer screen had the you know the green cathode tube or whatever cathode tube screen and the keyboard in front of it that like for typing in and you would type all this stuff in as commands and it had uh, it was a blend of it had it would hold five or six samples but also then it had synthesis of like analog drums sort of like a simmonsy thing mm-hmm. but it looked like a big old computer so it's kind of their version of wendell interesting yes and i what i like about synth pop even if they are using you know electronic instrumentations and the drums we're still not completely evolved to the point where we're trying to sound artificial as a way of differentiating the music like in the way new order would or depeche mode it's like we're still for the most part want to sound like a band even if the snare drum is a little bit wacky yeah you know i get i get what you're saying yes um a couple other sonic correlations. You could comment on these too. So um, we get back to sophistication. More complex chord structures than again going c- comparing and contrasting against like a Depeche Mode or yeah. a New Order or even a Howard Did Jones. Depeche Mode use chords? Sometimes they didn't. <laughs> I know. Sometimes they didn't. But yeah. here the emphasis is on you know going back to the jazz influence. You're trying to incorporate some of those interesting voicings that you don't hear in regular pop. Yeah, music. I think you hit on it. Interesting voicings because they don't use a lot of real like jazz turnarounds and changes, mm-hmm. but they will add the additional color notes, the nines and the sevens and things on top of these chords, even though at its root, it doesn't have, it's not like something you got out of the jazz real book or something, you know, fly me to the moon or whatever. It's not that dense harmonically, but they're definitely adding more color. Yep. And then we're going to listen to some of the stuff as we go, but the other thing I hear a lot of as a bass player that I love is you'll hear a lot of great bass lines in mm-hmm. Sophista Pop. Just really good bass work. Yeah, Not man. just holding down the roots. No, you know? man. Go yeah, you have probably already got it on your list, but you could go top to bottom on that haircut one hundred album and yes. every song's a bass lesson. Yep. And you have ABC in your margins. That first yeah. ABC album is it's sometimes paired with uh, synth bass, but man, there's some good bass work on there. Yeah. And again, you're not putting Duran Duran in this category, but John Taylor to me is like one of the best bass players. Well, I would put on. some of Duran Duran in the, the first couple albums would go in there and maybe the first ABC album would kind of go in there. But you know, when you're getting into like notorious or, uh, you know, from Duran Duran or, or later on, you know, all she wants is songs like that. Oh yeah, don't. I don't consider that. And same thing with ABC when they got into you know um, songs like Millionaire and stuff. That was a little harder hitting than probably what is true 
sophisticated about, but they still had the look, you know, still carried still out the look, look. Yeah, silk suits, baby. But yeah, you're right though, because I'm only considering that first ABC record as an example of this in the earlier uh, Duran Duran as well. But but they kind of got back to it by their fourth record when you think of songs like When Smokey Sings. Yep, yeah, you know? I guess. Yeah, but I'm just such a big fan of that first album that everything else they do just pales in comparison. Um, True. But last comment on this, though. The other thing I see a lot, and even if you want to explore some more Blow Monkeys uh, stuff, would be a good example, is the Jerry Hayes-inspired, or at least, I don't know if influence is the right word either, but similar, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, horns section, and then especially sax solos. It's a huge instrumentation, uh, The both the group of horns, the brass section and a sax solo was very prominent yeah. in this i had a note in my head i didn't write it down but i did notice that obviously there is a lot of sax solos but even then they're played very differently mm. than like bringing in an ernie watts who has those jazz licks in him these guys are playing much more inside it's much more about the tone and the reverb around it um you know when you think of like the sax uh player for spanda ballet think of the solo on true or whatever they it's a very different sort of tone it is. Well, let's listen to the solo in true. Okay, just the way he attacks the notes, there's almost like a, a bark at the beginning sometimes that uh, I don't associate necessarily with, say, someone like watts or Brecker, yeah. you know it's just a different approach in another difference in the approach is it sounds like he's trying to going back to the way neil sean orchestrates a guitar solo yeah here's a new melody i'm gonna sing for you as opposed to let me riff off a improvised jazz solo yeah yeah but, and you could make that same case for another comfy uh sophisticated artist sade yeah, oh yeah the sax solos and that stuff yeah. exactly Um, Sade's a good example of this, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, anyways. So, um, those are my sonic correlatives. Um, you may have others, but what? Is that a word? Uh, yeah, sonic? Yeah, no. it sure is. <laughs> okay. So, um, are there either additions you want to make or contrasts? We've talked about a few contrasts. Well, I think one of the contrasts, the biggest contrast, is already mentioned up in the original summary from the Wikipedia thing, is that the, the, the overall mood is more atmospheric and a lot of more romantic songs, whereas Yacht Rock is much more, I would say, maybe poignant or mm. love lost a lot more. Yep. It's, it, it's sadder in some ways, I guess. I don't know if that's quite right, but... Yes. Yeah, I can see that. All right, so then going back to the timeline, do they have a specific era on Wikipedia? They just said mid-80s, right? They um, kind of... Uh, <laughs> but it started the proto one with 82, but right? they kind of somewhere... I got to look and see. Maybe it was in my list of what albums I thought were definitive. But oddly enough, it seems to start right around 1984. Yeah. And probably go to the mid-90s. And that gives them, they're working with a different technology. They're working yep. now with the beginnings of sampling, the transition to more sophisticated digital recording, 
um, the drum machines and or samplers that are coming out with sound sets, you know, are embracing a much more aggressive sound. So in general, I would say it comes off as brighter sounding, um, a lot more advanced reverbs. And so their use of reverbs going back to that atmospheric sound Mm -hmm. is another example. We're going to hear a fair amount of the DX7 that we talked about being the killer of the roads. You don't hear a lot of roads. You do hear a lot of uh, DX7. And as you said, a lot more synths. We're getting into the digital synths like the DX7, but also others um, moving away from just the pure analog synthesizer, which gets into a much deeper conversation technically, but moving away from that analog oscillator-based stuff to more sample and pcm based stuff later on yep so so a much wider palette of sounds available in this era than certainly between 76 and 84 oh yeah so you get to hear things it was this era where it's like you're starting to hear things you had never heard before and i think that was part of the appeal of new wave just stepping back in general right it's mm-hmm. like this is sounds totally different and i like the drum machine sounding completely fake and all that stuff but, yeah right right um so and then i wonder what you have if any notes on this because we talked briefly about we made the correlation that maybe brian ferry is the uk's answer to donald fagan yes. in terms of yeah. it's an artist who wants to create maybe a, a project around himself right and might bring in various session cats or um you know he, he obviously left roxy music to go on and do his own thing so do you, are there other examples the one that comes to mind specifically for me is one of the most famous cats of famous cats that was more so prominent in the uk was nile rogers as a guitar player mm-hmm. well i have that later on in my notes because i had some albums i wanted to focus on but since you brought up brian ferry his uh boys and girls album uh 1985 was his first it wasn't his first solo album but it was his first of this style so let's look at the um personnel on it it's not yacht rock personnel necessarily but it is obviously he has taken this concept like you said of bringing in these super specialists even though he had different ones at his disposal so uh now rogers is on that album Mm -hmm. uh david gilmore mark Knopfler, guitar players Mm -hmm. right um bassists got neil jason tony levin marcus miller marcus miller the drummers are Andy Newmark and Omar Hakim. We got David Sanborn on sax. We got Fonzie Thornton on backing vocals. We brought him up once before. Bob Clearmountain, engineering and mixing. I mean, geez <coughs> Louise. But what's interesting is that 1987... Right? He moves to this set of characters. David Gilmore still on guitars, but now we got Dan Huff on guitars. Ooh. Uh, Johnny Marr plays guitars on that Excellent. album. Excellent. This is on the Bet Noir album. David Williams. Really? Abe Laboreal. Marcus Miller. Vinnie Caliuda. Still got Andy Newmark. 
John Robinson plays some drums. Paulina DaCosta. Holy smokes. Fonzie Thornton is still there. And Sita Garrett on backing So vocals. it is Yacht Rock after all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that was, a, that was a note I had, though, is that so now we're getting into the era of explicit crossover where they're hiring the very same cats. I had, you know... Uh, Marcus Miller is noted because he was a favorite of the Aztec camera guy, Roddy Frame. Yep. Um, but there's a bunch more that you just mentioned. Yeah, well, we're kind of going out of order, but uh, that's okay. I mean, out of order for my notes. Aztec camera, I had that one written down. You check out the personnel on this one. Rob Mouncey, who played bass, keys, uh, drum programming, Marcus Miller, as you mentioned, Will Lee, also on bass, mm-hmm. keyboardist by the name of uh, Peter Beckett. Yep. Wow. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Dave Weckl, Steve Jordan, and Steve Gadd are your drummers. Uh, Which back- album is this, or is this... This is love. Okay, this love. Is love. Yeah, and um, Dan Hartman on background vocals. The Dan Hartman piece yeah. that can yeah dream about me. Yep, that's him. But so yeah, again, loaded with personnel. Not all of it yachty, but notable for being specialists, right? Because Aztec Camera started off as a band, multiple right. players. By this time, it was Roddy Frame doing it. Right? Yes, and so he needed to fill out the roster, and he filled it out with the, you know. Who can I get? But in some cases, it's the L.A. guys. Yes, it is. So we're not completely across the pond and off the reservation and off the map. I mean, there's, for good reason, you're going out and getting the best of the best to do a sophisticated style of music. And we can come back. I've got a few more albums, but I wanted to get to the real, the the big, big link. They talk about what's the missing link. Ooh, we've looked and we've looked for the missing link. It's this, that hunched over guy that almost looks like an ape. Yes. Okay. Tell us how we got to this episode and what the missing link is that I'm talking about. Yes. Well, we had uh, who we believe is a listener, listener Michael Anthony Curran, I think. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with Anthony Michael Hall. No, the no, Same no. era. Same era, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, who just tagged us in a Facebook post and um, I think was alerting us and everyone to this artist, which we'll get to in just a second. And he asked, should we do an episode on this? Which, right. On Sophistapop, specifically. Sophistapop, yeah. explicitly. So um, I asked him um, to send me the, the phonetical pronunciation of this band name. <laughs> and I got a kick out of it because all I did was separate the syllables, but didn't give me it. <laughs> but I think that's it. I think yeah. it's as it looks. Okay, so I'm going to say it. Yeah. Fra Lippo Lippi. Yes. And what do you know about Fra Lippo Lippi? Well, I know that they're Norwegian. Which <laughs> that Boy, is that coming up all of a sudden a lot yeah. lately. Maybe that's why I'm getting all this Norway stuff in there because I was checking out this uh, album. But produced by... Walter Becker. Hoo-hoo, ha-ha. Now, we know that Walter Becker also produced a couple albums for China Crisis, Correct. which I do have on my list that we'll examine more closely. Who but is Walter- a Sophistapop artist? Definitely. Yep. Definitely. What's interesting is when he produced them, he did two albums, but they weren't consecutive. But we'll come back to that. Mm. Let's talk about Fra Lippo Lippi. Okay. Or is it Lippi Lippo? Yeah, Fra Lippo Lippo Lippi. Yeah. So- produced by Walter Becker. And what year was this, and what are the personnel? So 1987, so again, a little bit after the heyday. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we're talking about Light and Shade. Right. So Light and Shade was the fourth studio album by Norwegian new wave band Fra Lippo Lippi, uh, recorded in L.A. 
Yeah. There you go. So now it's getting yachtier. So they came all the way across from Norway. Produced by uh, Walter Becker, which you mentioned. But check out the personnel on this bad boy. You've got Abe Laboreal, Carlos Vega, Dean Parks, Jeffrey Picaro. Jeffrey. Yes. Jeffrey Picaro. Yes. It's the same one and only Jeff Picaro. Uh, Fra Lippo Lippi, which is the person, apparently. Polito DaCosta, Robbie Buchanan, Tom Scott, um, and I think that's everyone. And Jimmy Johnson. Fra Lippo Lippi, um, that maybe they're referencing that as a group because that, that Fra Lippo Lippi is a, um, the band name refers to a poem by Robert Browning. Oh, I, somebody else referred to Fra Lippo Lippi as a he as well. So. Oh. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know. Would you uh, name your kid after a poem? I suppose. <laughs> you could? Yeah. Yep. And there's a bunch of other, um, session cats, none of which I know, but so that I thought was now, I mean, we're talking about practically a Yacht Rock album being recorded in LA with the Yacht Rock musicians, but it's more of a sophisticated type of Yeah, you can approach. hear the echoes of it because, you know, a guy like Dean Parks is going to play like Dean Parks plays, you know? Right. And you hear that in there, but it's in this more, like you say, atmospheric sort of setting. It's a different, like, shape around the whole thing. Well, right? let's play... Um was there a track off uh, the 1987 record that you think exemplifies what they're doing? Because my take on the record was uh, interesting song structure. Uh, you could hear all the cats doing what they're doing for the most part. But then I I didn't latch onto any specific song. Maybe you did. Well, I would say I had a few that jumped out at me. But the one that might as well drop in here is one called Home. So you can hear the, um, what would you say, the the desire to raise the bar, mm -hmm. you know, collectively, both harmonically as well as sonically. You you know, the you brought in Walter Becker because you wanted to find out how do you do what they did, right? Right. Exactly. Yep. Um, but it, I don't think that the act ever really caught on commercially. Doesn't this, seem like it. This was the first I heard of it. So, by the way, thank you, listener Anthony Michael Hall. I mean, Michael <laughs> Anthony. Curin, right? Um, because you turned me on something I wasn't even aware of. Were you? I was not unaware. I was not aware of it at all either. I was aware uh, that Walter had produced a couple of China Crisis albums, so I wanted to get to that too. He did two. The first one, it's kind of interesting here because it ties back to Yacht in some ways other than just Walter Becker. Uh, Flaunt the Imperfection was the album from 1985, and he, it didn't have a lot of personnel. This one, he kind of worked with what he had, but he brought in a guitar player called Tim Renwick. Mm -hmm. Tim Renwick is an English guitar player. What's interesting is he is best known for his association with Al Stewart. Ah. Comfy uh, character right there. But right? a Brett. Yeah. Yep. Then we go to 1989, and they have an album called Diary of a Hollow Horse. Now, is a hollow horse a Trojan horse? <laughs> yes, I, I actually think, think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this album's from 1989. I want to play a song called Saint Savior Square. But 
With personnel, he did bring some of his uh, cats in on this. This one has Robbie Buchanan on keys, right? Paulino da Costa plays percussion on the album. Jim Horn plays flute on the album. And Walter Becker even uh, gets his hands on a synth on one of the tunes. Wow. So on the title track. Well, we've brought up China Crisis in the past. They even have a song called Fools. So there and you I go. And I think they have one that's certified, too. Uh, I Will Cut You, right? Yep. Or something. something yeah, I Will cut. cut You is a song by them. I don't know if it's been certified. I'm Do you want me sure. to pull it up on the... I think yeah. it's a little bit above 50, 56, 57, something like that, maybe. Well, uh, I'll tell you. Okay. So uh, you did cut me That's from it. 1985. I will cut you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut a B. No, uh, 1985. Uh, was it ready? Got a 54. Okay. So, I knew it go. was on. Yep. Not by much. So those are two albums. Are there other albums that you can reference that you think are good examples of what we're talking about? Yeah, and we actually hit this one once, but it's worth revisiting because this one really caught me off guard when I discovered it. And that is Everything But The Girl, 1990, mm-hmm. Language of Life album. Now, this one is uh, produced by Tommy LaPuma. Oh, I mean, there you, you go. Know, so you brought in a guy with the not just a West Coast guy, but a specifically a jazz-influenced West Coast guy. At this time, they had known him because he had worked with Miles Davis and George Benson, and he had also contributed to um, Aztec Cameras Love, some additional production on that. Wow. So, um, apparently, La Puma had expressed an interest in producing everything but the girl. Um, he felt that, at that point, the band had sort of lost its way in the English landscape of music, and he thought that maybe bringing them to New York and then eventually brought them to L.A. would maybe freshen them up, give them a different sound. I, they kind of came away, that they being the everything but the girl, they came away kind of like, uh, I don't know why we really even did that album, but it, it's pretty amazing that um, Tracy Thorne, lead vocalist, Ben Watt, guitar and piano, but the rest of the band around them is all Yacht Rock guys, pretty much. Hmm. Um, the song arrangements were done by Larry Williams and Jerry Hay. The band that LaPuma put together included um, Omar Hakim on drums, John Patitucci on bass, Larry Williams on guitars. I mean, in Thorne's own words, Thorne being Tracy Thorne, the lead vocalist, she called it a fully realized, immaculately performed and produced American soul pop record. Sounds like Yacht Rock, right? Yep. There's a couple additional uh, personnel on this, too, that's worth mentioning. That uh, Lenny Castro, Michael Landau, wow. right? Kirk Whalem, Michael Brecker, Mark Russo, sax player Stan Getz even plays, Joe Sample. I mean, geez, it uh, was recorded by Al Schmidt, mixed by Bill Schnee. Jeez. And they recorded it at Bill Schnee Studios, Sunset Sound, and Ocean Way Recording. Does it get more <laughs> like West Coasty than that? All right. So I'm back to it. It's, it's basically just Yacht Rock then. But, not, but 1990 version almost. Yeah. You know, what you'd expect from a 1990 version. It begs the question, is there such thing as Sophista Yacht? So hmm, I'm I, not I, getting into that. Oh, I am in a big <laughs> oh, way. Geez. So we'll come back to your albums in a second, but I just right. wanted to plug my new favorite playlist called Sophista Yacht. And what I've done is I found songs. First of all, I love Sophista Pop for all the same reasons okay. I love Sophista Yacht, which I'll get into in a second here. But Sophista Yacht is not making the claim again that this is Yacht Rock. It's, boy, listen to this song that is almost like got, you know, the International Dateline. You know, and you cross it, it becomes a different day. So maybe that's the 
Mendoza line of 50 in the Yacht Rock scale. <laughs> the closer you get to 9 p.m., say, the closer it is to be Pop, and the closer you get to 3, or no, I guess it would be noon. I'm getting lost here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> then it would be more Yacht Rock. Anyways, I've got some examples. If you're interested, I will link to that in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, because I've covered all my albums other than things I want to touch on in the lightning round. So you had some examples of songs that you wanted to point well, to. Well, just bits of songs okay. that I think, you know, you could say, well, they're not copying Yacht Rock. But it, there's a similar element. So one of the things I always love about Yacht Rock is that you've got this really smooth song, right? Mm-hmm. Sophisticated song. And then out comes Jay Graydon or Lukather or some such to just mm-hmm. rip off a blazing guitar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's a song I found uh, called Jocelyn Square by an artist called Love and Money. Are you familiar with Love and Money? Mm-mm. I was not either, but I found love it. Love and in Rockets. A, but yeah, not, no, different. Yeah. They love different things okay. here. Um, I found it in a Sophistapop playlist, um, and it was new to me. But let's start with the open, and you'll hear some guitar plucks in a different kind of way. So you've got that more forward one at the yeah. kind of leading it off. You still hear some muted palms a little bit. blocks to go, please. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. And this is from 1980. Hold on. 1988. So, okay. Right. Yep. Same time. But if you scroll ahead, you get this sort of ripping guitar lead. Very much a rock guitar solo. Absolutely. Or a sophisticated Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. Um, just two other quick ones, and then okay. we could hit the lightning round, unless you have something else. One, I have one thing before we get to the lightning round, but okay. finish off your songs. All right, so I just, this is not reminiscent of Yacht Rock, but you know how I love me some uh, some uh, Thunder Thumbs, right? Yeah. So I found this tune by, uh, of all places, Style Council. This is a little sloppier than what... Uh, he would have played, Lewis, but yeah. if you've got the slapping and popping, this is exists in the Sophistapop arena. Also from 1988, this is Confessions of a Pop Group is the album yeah. and the track. Here we go. think that's a music man kind of sounds it like sounds it, like a music it? man doesn't it yeah yep usually those brits like their p bases though so yeah but that maybe not in 88 who knows yeah um all right last thing and again i'll link to this playlist and it's got a lot of these types of gems but the one other thing that we didn't bring up so you mentioned palm mutes mm-hmm. there is a palm plucking that is prevalent in Sophistapop that is different than the one you hear in Yacht Rock. Agreed. And here's an example of it. This is, again, something I had never heard of. But if you think of the way, well, going back to Haircut 100, the way that that guy plays. If yeah. he's not yep. doing rhythm and he's plucking, you might hear something like this. Here's a tune called Popped In Sold Out by a band, wait for it, Wet, Wet, Wet. Oh. Are you familiar? Yep. Oh, you are? Yeah. Well, this is from 1987. Here's what I'm talking about. You Listen to the opening of this tune. So it's a more, way more aggressive attack. Yeah, you, we did hear that every once in a while in the Yacht Rock 
because mm-hmm. it, that that's the sound that I associate with Paul Jackson Jr. Yeah, okay. It's yeah. just it's just a different level of brightness and attack that uh, I only seem to hear come from him. But not that I'm saying that that's him. But that would be the only lone you know sliver of it in yacht rock would be him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But Definitely. I hear that sound you know in ABC, Blow yes. Monkeys. I mean, everywhere you go, it almost you, sounds like they're. Sp- plucking the string like pulling it up and letting it snap back against the fretboard yep that sounds so snappy yes it does all right and then what did you have before we uh do our well, we started doing a compare and contrast kind of thing yeah. we didn't really set up our whiteboard but <laughs> the question i would have is when it when it comes to sophistapop is what are the puns though there are no mm. puns if i mean Dude. that's a deal breaker isn't it so i guess we can't start a podcast about it because good thing that would be no fun yeah because hmm. we have to do in two a week yeah jeez. all right lightning round <laughs> all right back to safer territory uh, yeah uh safer harbors if you will see the puns okay there we write go. themselves i love it oh so good well this is interesting timing too because this is the time of year i really get into sophistapop for whatever reason yeah isn't it funny yep it's sort fit? of my it's like i'm i'm easing my way into new wave which i get into as the weather gets colder okay. um but i'm still holding on to the last vestiges of the yacht um found at sea okay. may i Yes. Uh, I was looking around for um, Nile Rodgers bits because I just love Nile Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And um, I came across this. Some fine citizen um, put together a playlist called Nile Rodgers Greatest Hits. Ooh. <laughs> if you're not familiar with who Nile Rodgers is, um, you got to just go back and do some studying. But Probably the most important rhythm guitar player in the history of popular music. Yeah, Let me just give you a taste for the artists that he's played for that in this playlist, because it's all over the map. Chic, right? Going back to yeah, almost the, his band, right? Right, obviously. Um, but David Bowie, um, Sister Sledge, mm-hmm. Daft Punk, which is more recent, yeah. Diana Ross, so he's playing the guitars that I'm coming out and upside oh, yeah. down. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Carly Simon, Madonna on the Material Girl Like a Virgin, yeah, all that stuff. that record, too. Produce that. You mentioned um, later Duran Duran. That is him on the Notorious record. Yes. Yep. Does great work on that. B-52s in excess. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So you've heard Nile Rodgers a ton, even if you don't think you've ever heard yeah, Nile Rodgers. Yeah, Thompson Twins. Produced Thompson Twins. Right. So I will link to this did playlist. did the Live Aid show with Thompson yes, Twins. Yes, he did. Yeah. And it is, as of the day that we're recording this, his birthday. So. Oh. All right, I'll link to that in the show notes. That's a good listen, actually. Okay, so cool. All right, what have you found at sea? I don't know why I was researching this. Um, maybe because I was just listening to the album, and I kind of was going to see if there are any details that I had not uh, unearthed before. But you know how much I'm a big fan of Rick Springfield, and particularly the Tao album. Oh, yeah. The Tao <laughs> album is, to me, um, just a, a pinnacle of production beauty and great songwriting Who produced it well are you getting rick there? did yeah bill drescher same cats but okay. if you go back to that um sound city documentary mm-hmm. there was a part where they were talking about bill drescher i think it was bill drescher setting up another studio to compete with sound city like right across the parking lot <laughs> and it was an all digital studio they were kind of embracing the the future and tom petty even talked about man there's like only one fader it's like there's not even a board <laughs> I think this is the album they were making when they did that. Because, oh, really? Because uh, Rick had been recording ex- exclusively at Sound uh, City before, and he was 
very close with Bill being, you know, producer. And so I, I read a little bit about this album and it's a fairly extensive read here, but there's several things that tie in to our discussion, even though this album is not a Sophistapop album and it is about as far away from Yacht Rock as you can get. Oh, perfect for today then. Without being metal. But <laughs> we, you'll see how this applies. So uh, this is a, from an interview that Rick Springfield did in 2012. And he talked about Tao had a lot of European influences, the production being much more European orientated. He said oriented, should be oriented, right? <laughs> yeah, With massive synths. And that stuff did really well in Europe. In fact, Celebrate Youth was a big hit in Germany. Springfield considers Tao to be his finest album to date. He really? said, whatever I thought of, we tried it. It was just when sampling was just getting going, and we got really into drum sampling. We built it up track by track, kind of like Nightfly, right? Mm-hmm. says, this is still my favorite album. I had stopped listening to American Rock by 1984. Oh, the he said, in fact, I was getting increasingly interested in what was going on in other types of music, especially artists who were English. Hmm. So he was being heavily in here. He is back in L.A. Mm-hmm. being heavily influenced by what was happening in the Sophistapop area. Yeah. So it's kind of come full circle. And we'll even go to the personnel on this album. So Rick plays a bunch of instruments. Uh, interesting. Mitchell Froome is on Emulator and DX7. Mitchell Froome was the producer and behind-the-scenes keyboardist for Crowded House. Oh, okay. Uh, went on to produce a lot of other people. Uh, Mike Baird on drums, West yep. Coast legend. Mm-hmm. Pino Palladino on bass. Yep. Nicky Hopkins, possibly the greatest piano player of rock music, was all over this album in keys. Richard Page, Tommy Funderburk, and Tom Kelly are your background vocalists. Wow. Right? Yeah. And Tim Pierce. Oh yeah, on guitar and the it's a master class in how to use that Roland GR seven hundred seven guitar synth, which almost nobody was able to really get a handle mm. on. This album is a master class in it. So let's uh, let's play a tune. Let's play State of the Heart. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Very slick production, though. <clears throat> um, you mentioned Tim Pierce. I love the overlap between people who love Yacht Rock and people who appreciate Tim Pierce. Yes. Because there's not... Tim Pierce isn't in a ton of Yacht Rock. No, but he's right on the edge with the, a lot of the AOR stuff. Yep. Yep. And he's so good. Yep. All right. Well, All right, so that brings me to my buried treasure. Yep. Somewhere along the line, I discovered this compilation called 80s Recovered. Hmm. which is from 2015, from what I can gather, but it's sort of 80s artists doing covers of songs, but not necessarily their own songs, not re-records of their own right. songs. So since we talked a lot about China Crisis, let's check out China Crisis's version of It's Too Late. And it's too late. I just 
just heard that song today. Yeah, cut yep. me lawn, right? Yeah. That's where you can listen to all your best music. Yeah, that's true. It is. Well, it also provides a good segue into my buried treasure. Okay. Because one of the correlatives, if I don't know if that's a oh, word, I that I had written yet. down that I was saving for the lightning round is how many times a fist of pop artist will cover a Yacht Rock tune. Oh, so yeah. Lisa We've St- even had a few on the show in the past. Lisa Stansfield. Yeah, that's Baby right. Baby Come Back, right? Yeah. Uh, Go West. What you wouldn't do for love, mm-hmm. right? And then here is this is becoming a recurring theme for Out of the Main season four, is it? All right, so long train running. Oh, <laughs> remember I got yeah. introduced to the little plucky thing in yeah. my left ear. So let's hear the real long train running real quick, so people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, and then okay. when we had uh, Firefall on, mm-hmm. uh, they did a cover of that on their friends and family record, and Jock thought like me, he's like, let's bring that little thing to the fore and do a distorted guitar lead with yep. it. And now we've got Curiosity Killed the Cat, who's going to take a horn approach to the same tune. So there you go. Yeah. Curiosity killed the cat covering some Yacht Rock cats. Yeah, three takes on the same little bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What's interesting, though, is at times the guy singing sounds like he's trying to sound like Bill Champlin. <laughs> so there's even more connections. So. <laughs> well, who doesn't try to sound like Bill? That's true. This is true. Yeah. All right, off the map. Okay, off the map because uh, you brought up well, let me digress. So every genre needs to have these questionable is it in or is, is it out songs. Um, yes, and we're here to be the arbiters. <laughs> yes, we are. But a lot of people I've noticed on the line, being the, the websites and stuff, uh, have been increasingly questioning sailing, whether that should be Yacht Rock by Christopher Cross. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm here to tell you this genre has a sailing. Okay. It is everything but the girls. I don't want to talk about it. I can by lies that you've probably been crying for. And this does in the sky don't mean nothing to you there and me. So there you go. It does sound like a sailing guitar cover of a, a well, it's 1975 was the original, right? So yep. it's close to the era. Exactly. Yep. But <laughs> it's a fist of, is it Sophista Yacht? I it, don't know. Every genre's got to have that one song. Like, does that belong? Sophista I know. Pop? I don't know. I thought you were going to ask if uh, Captain of Your Heart again. I thought you were going to try and hit me with that again. <laughs> All right, well, Catch you off guard. Yeah. All right. Rate it on the um, <laughs> international dateline. What time would it be? 12. <laughs> 12? That's noon. That's Yacht Rock. <laughs> <laughs> if you want it to be sophista pop, it's nine. Okay. So if you want it to be something else, it's what about eight. <laughs> I don't I don't get my own scale anymore. I know. <laughs> All right. All right, off the map. Yeah. Possibly one of the cleanest records you'll ever hear recorded. The uh actually the first one too, but this is the second Screedy Politi album called Provision, nineteen eighty eight. And um it sounds very similar to the first one, which had the big hit. Um was the big hit perfect way perfect way thank you mm-hmm. but this is the second one and i just love that again the personnel on this it's loaded with it miles davis is on it chris Bodie, so we, you know a couple trumpet players um but the song i want to play also has marcus miller on it has dan huff fonzie thornton wow. even, even the great roger troutman on the talk box 
wow. plus the extra bonus. The title of this song reminds me of the infamous uh, Boom Goes the Dynamite. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. He'll so here's Scritty Politi. Boom. There she was. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's a lot of personnel on those records too. Yep. And did you ever hear Miles Davis covered Perfect Way? Yeah. By the yeah, way, so yeah. I always wondered what the correlation there was. Maybe it was the session or something. I think that he did it, and therefore they asked him to play. I, I don't know which happened first. Now come to think okay, of it. Okay. Yeah, but uh, there obviously was a connection. Right. All right. Well, Marcus that's, Miller maybe could be could yeah. be. That's all I got. Unless there's anything else you got, but I do have a final announcement. Okay. So you, I'll bite. All right. Well, what was it that Fraser Crane said at the beginning? Let me tee him up. Uh, hi, Polite. You are the classic everyman. 